Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is living, it's active, it's true, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It is a light to our path, it's a lamp to our feet. It is like fire, it is like a hammer, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that every man, every woman of you is equipped for good works. Speak to us through your word, Father. Be our teacher, Holy Spirit. Glorify the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would bring healing and comfort and strength and conviction as we dive into this passage. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine, those here, those online. We are so glad that you all are with us. Today, we are starting a new sermon series, a series of what it means to be real. But before we go into that, just a quick review of Summer Sundays. The past five weeks, we've been looking at life is better in 5G. And there were five G's that we look at. Say five. Usually when Johnny does the welcome, he's going to share two things. And so if you got past kindergarten, you can probably count to one, two, three, four, five, right? Five things. Gathering, giving, groups, gospel. Ooh, I'm in second, secondary school. Groups and going. Those are the things that we looked at. Life is better in 5G. And all of us as believers, as followers of Jesus, and this just with this alliteration of words, 5G, as members of the church at Woodbine, we want to actively be living this way. Everybody in a group, everybody on mission. Everybody in a group, everybody on mission. As we transition into this new series, what does it mean to be real? And today's sermon topic is a real heart. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at King David. The life of David. And one of our challenges, if you know anything about David, you know that as he gets older, he becomes a scumbag, an adulterer, a liar, a murderer, a deceiver. That's who David becomes. And yet scripture says a couple of times, Old Testament and New Testament, that he was a man after God's own heart. How can that be? And that is some of the biblical tension that we find all throughout Scripture. It seems that we'll see biblical truths that look like they contradict each other, and yet they're both true. So King David, and he's not king here in this story. He's anointed king, but he's just a teenager. And before we dive into that, I got a question. How many of you, and I kind of made a joke about my voice going up, How many of you would pay a million dollars to go back to junior high or middle school? Anybody would would anybody like to go back to middle school, junior high? James would. Okay, thanks for being honest, James. Jonathan would, okay. A couple of us would. Why don't you want to go? If I paid you a million dollars, would you go back to middle school or junior high? And I gotta use middle school and junior high because anyone who is 45 years and older went to junior high, ninth, eighth, and seventh grade. Now, why they would put seventh graders with ninth graders, I have no idea. Because there are some ninth graders that could pass for 30-year-olds. And there were most seventh graders had big feet, big ears, big nose, buck teeth with braces. 
And boy, they talk like this all the time. I'll never forget in seventh grade, they would do the role, you know, and they go through everybody's name, the teacher would. And the boys would have to, <clears throat> to say, here, here, you know, because it would just roll out sometimes. Going through middle school, going through high school is some of the most awkward, uncomfortable times in our lives. All the, amen, going through all these changes. And right here in this story of David, the youngest of eight brothers, and he's even forgotten or he's intentionally ignored by his own father. And as we talk about a real heart, Naomi, awesome. Yay, yay, yay. We're so excited and so proud of you. Way to go. Excellent. As we look at a real heart throughout Scripture, Scripture says that David is a man. Even in this context here, God refers to him just a few chapters before. He's a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a real heart? Now, there's a phrase, there's a word that we use a lot in church these days for the past several years, actually, about being authentic. We want authentic worship. We want an authentic experience. I want to be authentic before the Lord. What does that mean to be authentic? When you think of, we need to be authentic, what does that mean? Do you know that there's no verse in Scripture that says be authentic one to another? There's 59 commandments of one another's, and none of them say be authentic one to another. There's no command that says be authentic before the Lord. There's not. Authentic is not part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. But we elevate being authentic almost as a cardinal supreme virtue. Is it right? Is it wrong? I'm just asking questions. I'm sure some of you guys will go down that rabbit trail and won't listen to another thing I say today. That's okay. You can go back and watch online later on. What does it mean to be authentic? Well, here's the definition of authentic. Authenticity means... You're true to your own personality, values, and spirit, regardless of the pressure that you're under to act otherwise. I'm going to read that again, okay? Because we have to ask the question, is this biblical truth? Authenticity means that you're true to your own personality, values, and spirit, regardless of the pressure that you're under to act otherwise. Sounds legit? Maybe. You're honest with yourself and with others, and you take responsibility. Ooh, there's a fun word. You take responsibility for your own mistakes. Your values, ideals, and actions align. Okay. How much of this is actually biblically true? We want our feelings. We want our ideals. We want our values to be aligned. Here's the challenge. Let's stand. We're going to read a verse. Jeremiah chapter 17. 
And I've got a dear sister in our life group who's going to love this verse. Jeremiah 17. So beyond the screen, I'm going to read it. I just want to open it up. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. Sometimes it's good just to touch the text or, you know, maybe scroll. Here's one of our challenges about being authentic. And this is one of the biblical truths that we have to recognize when we're talking about what we think, what we feel, what we see, what we know. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. The heart, and this means your mind, your thoughts, and your emotions. The heart in Scripture, the context of Scripture, is dealing with all that we are. Not just our emotions, but our thoughts, our feelings, our values. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And what? Incurable. Who can understand it? Stop right there, Chris. Don't jump to the next one. This is the truth about who we are as humans. I'm sorry. I just kind of jumped right into the 200 meter deep end of the swimming pool. No real funny story, anything like that. This is the reality of who we are as humans. And yet, if you look at almost any movie that is produced by a company with a mouse with big ears. The message in almost any one of those movies is you need to follow your... Do we really want to follow something that is deceitful, more deceitful than anything else in the world, and that is incurable? Do you want to follow that? Do you want to wage your life on it, your family on it, your future on it, your past on it? Whew. But that is what our culture teaches, preaches, proclaims, and lives. Because one of the cardinal virtues of our culture is, I just want to be happy. And Scripture is very clear. The heart is deceitful above anything. It's incurable. Who can understand it? Verse 10. I, the Lord, not Doug, the Lord Jesus, our Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, three in one, examine the mind and I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. All throughout Scripture, you guys can have a seat. Thank you. All throughout Scripture, in both Old and New Testament, God is constantly talking about He is the one who runs to and fro here on the earth. He sees all things. He knows all things. To examine and to test our hearts. He is the one who holds the heart of the King in His hands. And we have to recognize as humans, we're created in God's image. That is amazing. It's awesome. It's wonderful. It's glorious. Because every human has been created in God's image, every human, regardless of where they're from, what ethnicity they are from, how wealthy, how poor they are, it does not matter what people group they're part of. Every human who's ever been conceived and who's ever lived on this planet is created in God's image. And they are of eternal value. 
But coupled with that truth is the truth that every human, except for the Lord Jesus, is born dead in their sins, born with an incurable heart that is deceitful more than anything else. And there is only one who can cure it. He doesn't come to fix our hearts. He comes to give us a new one to raise it from the dead. And that is the Lord Jesus. So when we talk about a real heart, when we talk about being authentic, we have to recognize the incredible, profound, depressing truth that the heart is more deceitful than anything. And today's title, A Real Heart, what does it mean to be real? We have to surrender our hearts because I guarantee you a steak dinner that numerous miracles happened as we walked out and climbed out of our cars today. Have you ever come to church with your family and you're in the car? Or maybe you've come and you're just... Never happens to me because I get here 20 hours early. I drive here by myself. But there are times when Margie will come with me and we're arguing in the car. And as soon as we pull into the parking lot and get out, we go, whoa, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. Amen. And we put on that Christian mask as soon as we get to church. Whoop, and we're no longer authentic. And we hide behind religiosity and what we should do. And maybe those masks need to come off. Now, some of us just love to vomit all that we are on the front porch of other people's emotional homes just to see if they'll embrace us or not. But what does it mean to have a real heart? Here in this context, 1 Samuel chapter 16, I won't ask you guys to stand up, but let me explain a little bit of the context here. We are looking at the Old Testament we're looking at Samuel, who is the last of the great prophets. And he actually was a judge as well before the era of the kings. Samuel, and he's, we named our son after this Samuel. Samuel grew up in the temple, was raised and discipled by the priests. And he became a powerful prophet. And he was recognized all throughout Israel as the Holy Spirit's hand was upon him. And he led Israel. And the people of Israel, they clamored to the Lord for a king because the Israelites who had established themselves in the promised land wanted to be like all the other nations around them, and they wanted a king. And God had told them very specifically all throughout their times through the desert that he was their king. And he commanded and he told them, don't be like the rest of the nations. But they clamored for a king, and God actually gave them what they asked for but brought blight into their souls and spirits because they had rejected him. Many times when we clamor and seek the things that the Lord has told us no to, he will turn us over to that very thing. And we think God has blessed us when in reality, we've marched right into a dead end spiritually and emotionally. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above anything else. So he actually gives them a king. Samuel anointed this first king. His name was Saul, King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was big. He was strong. He was handsome. But spiritually and emotionally, he was immature and extremely weak. 
And time after time again, he disobeyed the Lord. Time and time again. And Samuel would rebuke him and Samuel discipled him. Samuel loved Saul because Saul was his guy, was his boy, not his biological boy. But Samuel raised him up and discipled him as a young man, as a young king. And it got so bad, Saul's disobedience, that the Lord rejected Saul as king and tore the kingdom away. This all happens in the first 15 chapters of 1 Samuel. You can read it yourself. The Lord rejects King Saul and Samuel is lamenting and he's in remorse and he's in mourning. Saul is still alive. Saul is still king. But the Lord made it very clear to Samuel, I've rejected Saul. And you need to go anoint one whose heart is after my own heart. He follows me. He pursues me. And that's going to be David. And we're going to look at the life of David. And right here in chapter 16, verse 1, we see, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Now this is back during the days of kings and back during the time of Israel when there were prophets and when there were priests and when there were now kings. Samuel was still viewed as the spiritual, emotional leader of Israel. When Samuel spoke, the people listened. Samuel was the prophet, and he was the one that would anoint the new king. And yet Samuel is depressed, and he's discouraged, and he's mourning because Saul has not only disobeyed and rejected the Lord himself, but the Lord has also rejected Saul. And Samuel's in mourning, probably in a whole lot of self-pity too. Who's been there? Who's been depressed, wallowing in self-pity, discouraged? I have many times. And it's hard to get up. And a lot of people just say, man, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Come on. And we can't. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We've tried it too many times. We don't know where Samuel is on that scale, but the Lord rebukes him and confronts him. And Samuel actually makes a claim. He goes, how can I do that? He goes, if I go and anoint someone else as king, Saul, who's still king, is going to find out. And what would I be doing? Committing treason. And he's going to kill me. And Samuel's not that far away from Jerusalem, which is where Saul was. There is real danger here. What God is asking Samuel to do is dangerous. And Samuel kind of, Samuel kind of calls out, hey, sometimes God will call us to do difficult and even dangerous things. Many of our global workers are in countries where it is illegal and dangerous to be as a Christian, and they still go. God provides for Samuel. Take a heifer with you, a cow. You're going to sacrifice. You're going to celebrate. That is not a lie. They're actually going to do that. Samuel goes to Bethlehem. The elders of Bethlehem see him. And because Samuel is a prophet, and they know sometimes back during the time of Samuel that when Samuel would come into a town, there was going to be judgment and there was going to be strife and there was going to be pain. The elders are trembling. Are you coming in peace or not? Are you declaring God's judgment over our little town of Bethlehem? And Samuel's like, no, I come in peace. Consecrate yourselves. And he goes to Jesse, who is David's dad. There's eight brothers and some sisters. 
And he tells them to consecrate themselves. He still hasn't really told them what to do. But what we do see here, and there's three things we're going to look at really quick in this story right here. The first one is do not judge by outward appearance. The second one is God sees, knows, and searches the heart. And number three, God chooses the weak, the least, the forgotten, and unwanted things for his purposes. Do not judge by outward appearance. Samuel, he's an old man. He's been following and walking with the Lord for decades. He's been able to hear God's voice ever since he is a little boy. And yet he sees the oldest brother, Eliab, I hope. Is that how you pronounce his name? And he sees the oldest brother of David. And I mean, he's the cat's meow. Big, strong, smart, good looking. I mean, all the outward appearances. And what does Samuel say? Certainly, this one is God's anointed. Woo! And God's like, uh uh. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He's not the one. And they go through brother two, brother three, brother four. None of them are the one that God has set apart. None of them is the one who has a heart that runs after God. Now, David's not perfect. We're going to see that. They go through the seven signs. Can you imagine what's going on with Jesse, the dad? Did he intentionally forget David? It's been suggested that David was an illegitimate son of Jesse. We don't know. But David is a teenager. Big feet, big ears, big nose, buck tooth. Now, it's actually here. It says he's super good looking. So I guess we can't throw David under the bus, right? But he's a young teenager. And he's out tending the sheep. Jesse, his own father, still does not consider him worthy, available, able, competent, the chosen one, to be the actual one. So he doesn't even call for him until Samuel goes through all seven sons. And Samuel's like, none of these are it. So that first point, don't judge by appearance. I'm super guilty of that. I am constantly making judgments on people and situations when I don't know all the facts. And even if I did know all the facts, How dare I pass judgment? But we do it all the time. Constantly judging, constantly criticizing, constantly slandering, constantly coming to to assumptions. And we don't even know. The heart is deceitful above anything else. It's incurable. If our own heart is incurable, how can we know the hearts of others? Number two, God sees, knows, and searches the heart. Handful of verses here, and I gave Hunter and Chris a gazillion verses, so I better look at some of these, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. It's a long verse. Paul's talking about instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. All of us should live and speak knowing that God has approved us, not because we're worthy, but because he makes us worthy through Jesus. But also understanding he's the one that's going to call us to account. He's the one who examines our hearts. He is the one who tests us and he is the one who knows. 
we might be able to deceive everyone else. And the most tragic is we deceive ourselves. Yet God is the one who examines the heart. He is the one who knows. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, there's this huge argument about eating unclean food and clean food. And Jesus, he says, woohoo. He's like, no, 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 no. Look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. You got that, Chris? Mm, From within, out of people's hearts come what? Evil thoughts, sexual moralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within And that's what defiles the person. All that flows from within each one of us. Jesus didn't come to fix our hearts. He came to give us a new one. So scripture is really clear and God knows, God sees. And it's not funny, but it is funny. My kids, when they were little and if they got caught doing something, I mean, they would try to hide it. And we'd see it as just plain as day. And you would almost want to laugh at how ridiculous it would be because they're trying to hide what they did. One of my best friend's youngest brother would get in trouble and he would go into the bedroom, which is where his parents would send him, and he had put on every single one of his pairs of underwear. 15 pair or so. So, I mean, that back end is just because he's going to get spanked. And the parents see it. And sometimes his parents would tell us they'd have to leave the room for a minute. They'd laugh in the kitchen and then have to get serious and come back in and be like, all right, take it all off. We so try to hide and deceive and cover things up and wear the masks. No one knows. The Lord Jesus, he knows, he sees. So I try to hide. You know, when an omniscient, which means all-knowing, when an omniscient being asks a question it's not for his benefit after adam and eve sinned that very evening god is walking in the garden in the cool of the day adam and eve hear them they're ashamed because they realize they're naked they're ashamed because they disobeyed and they hide Whoop! and god is like where are you it's not for his good We don't need to hide. It's really scary to put everything in the light. But that's actually what God wants. He wants us to come to him and lay everything at his feet. Our past, our present, our future, our griefs, our sin, our shame. He wants us to lay it at his feet. He already knows. So I try to hide it. Don't judge. God sees, knows, and searches the heart. And then the last one is this. God chooses the weak, the least, the forgotten, the undesirable. I love this aspect here and this passage here where Samuel asks at the very beginning of verse 11, are these all the sons you have? I mean, they've just gone through seven. Bam, 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 bam. 
And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, uh, the, the young one. Yeah, he's out tending sheep. It makes me wonder, how far out was he? Was it a five-minute walk? Was it a five-kilometer walk? And look what Samuel says. We ain't doing anything until he gets here. That he, you know, That's Doug's version, right? The train stops here until the little one gets here. The forgotten one gets here. The insignificant one gets here. The least of these, the weakest, the youngest. We're doing nothing until he gets here. And it's pretty cool. I mean, here in verse 12, it says he was, had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. Your translation might say something a little bit different. Wow. Then the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. Could you imagine what dinner was like around that family table that night? Seven older brothers and they're just like, man, can you believe God chose that one? So Samuel takes the horn of oil and he anoints David as king. And it says from that day forward where the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day on. And as we go throughout these next several Sundays, I mean, David was a very weak, broken man, just like you and just like me. He by no means was perfect. And we're going to look at why did God declare him to be a man after his own heart? And we will see that David constantly and regularly, and if you ever read the Bible in chronological order, a third of the Psalms were written by David. The honest Psalms, like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My soul is crushed. I'm overburdened and my bones are on fire because I've withheld, I've holding in my sin and I haven't confessed it to you, Lord. All of my friends, they've turned on me and they surround me and they gnash their teeth at me like snarling dogs. Where are you, God? Oh, if I was like a bird, I would fly away. Those are all Psalms by David. Also, God, you are awesome and you're holy and you're glorious. And there's one thing I seek, one thing I desire, and that's to sit in your presence and to gaze upon your beauty. That is all King David. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Paul says to the Corinthian church, brothers and sisters, consider your calling like when you got saved. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. Our world, especially in the West, in the Americas, is being upwardly mobile, wealthier, smarter, good-looking, climb that ladder, bigger and better, bigger is better, Brothers and sisters, we live in an inside-out, upside-down kingdom where in order to win, you must lose. In order to gain, you must forfeit. In order to live, you must die. In order to be first, you must be last. In order to be served, you must serve. 
And our King Jesus is the epitome of that kingdom because it's his kingdom. Seated on his throne for all eternity, he voluntarily unrobed himself, became a man, took on our flesh and blood, took on our humanity without sin, and then took our shame and our sin and our death. And he died on that cross so that you and I would be forgiven that would be given new hearts and new lives, that our incurable hearts would be restored and made new, and that we would be adopted as sons and daughters through the incredible sacrifice of Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And as we close, I have one challenge for you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else. Why? How do we guard our hearts? We do so by surrendering completely to the Lord Jesus. And I'm not talking about just that step of salvation. I'm talking about every day of just pouring all that we are out to him. Our fears, our sin, our shame, our anger and our bitterness. The Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. It's the manual on how to live, not to be saved, but to walk in the light of Jesus. And he wants us to lay everything at his feet, to be real, to be authentic. I want to invite you to stand and as we worship, as we praise our Father, I want to encourage you, if you want prayer, if you need prayer, we'll have our prayer team over here at Next Steps, your right, my left. If you just want to come up to the steps, we kind of call the steps the altar. It's not more holy up here, but sometimes we just need to get away. I know the pews are long and the pews are tight. But just tell your neighbor, hey, excuse me, I got to get out. If you want to come up here and pray, worship, sing. If you want someone to pray with you, Carolyn and Dustin will be over here. They would love to pray with you, talk with you. I want to encourage all of us, take off the mask. Die to yourself. Become the most real that you can be as a man or woman after God's own heart. Following the example of David. Let's worship, let's sing.